interact. My goal today is that our teenagers and our young people can understand the simplicity, right? Not that the word is simple, but the simplicity of the word of God. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And he said, I have heard your prayer. I'd like for you to underline the word prayer. And I have chosen this place. Prayer and place. Prayer and place. For myself as a house of sacrifice. Notice closely what the Lord says. When I shut up the heavens and there is no rain. Or when I command the locusts to devour the land. Or when I send diseases among the people. When I send pestilence among the people. Verse 14. Sounds familiar. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear all the way from heaven. I would forgive their sins and I would heal their lands. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Now my eyes are open. Now my ears will be attentive to what? To the prayer. Prayed where? Prayed in this place. I want to emphasize the word prayer. And I also want to emphasize the word place. In fact, I'm coming through the crosshairs today of prayer and place. There is a sanctity of the practice of prayer. But there's also a sanctity and an anointing about the place called the church. And I want to talk about the two. In fact, my title this morning is Becoming a People of Prayer in a Post-Pandemic Era. Becoming a People of Prayer in a Post-Pandemic Era. I'm going to look at this other camera here just for a few moments. And let me talk a little closer at you today. What does it mean to be a person of prayer, particularly... In this post-pandemic era, one thing's for sure, my prayer life has changed in the last two months. One thing's for sure, we now have a little bit more time, a little bit more availability. We're now hearing and seeing the priority and the purpose of prayer, maybe more than in the history of our young lives. And so becoming a person of prayer or becoming a person of prayer in a post-pandemic era. Uh, it's no strange thing to say today that many of us still are honoring the stay-at-home guidelines, particularly here in North Carolina. So many of us are now or soon will be faced with the decision, how fast do we want to reopen America? How fast do we really want to reopen North Carolina? Business owners need income. Restaurants need income. Major corporations need to kind of get back to, the, to, to getting in the black or getting in the green. And people want to kind of get back to this normal piece. But then you have the other side of the argument that says we're not quite ready to, from, to come from under this quarantine status. Uh, there are still people sick. There are still people dying. Folks are still sneezing. And people don't want to wear masks. And so we're going to be caught these next few weeks, if not months. And this conundrum of what is really best, not only for our homes and our lives to do, think about the church. What should the church do? If, if we move too soon, we'll be criticized for not caring about people's health and people's wherewithal. If we don't move soon enough, well, I thought you all were the people of faith. I thought you all believed that God was a healer. And so these are some daunting times and things that we really have to grapple with. 
And I believe that it comes better when people are praying. Now, truth is, uh, we're still adjusting to this new normal of life. Many of us now, we work from home. We're stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads. We're homeschooling. And thank God for, for DoorDash. And thank God for Grubhub. And thank God for Uber Eats and all of these delivery services. Because if the truth be told, we're kind of tired of cooking and ironing and doing the dishes and all that stuff. And, you know, yeah, the first week or two, it was cute. It was fun. It was phenomenal. But now, them walls are starting to cave in a little bit. People get a little restless and cabin fever is setting in. You know, I, I I have a question. In fact, I have a series of questions, and I'm in a moment now where I'm beginning to ask the question, you know, where do we go from here as a country? Where do we go from here as a church? Where do you go from here? And these are the questions I'm, I'm, I'm waking up early in the morning, and I'm in prayer, and I'm journaling, I'm writing notes. You know, what is God? ultimately doing in this hour what is he saying in this hour and this is why i really want to focus on second chronicle 7. i think it is over obvious that there is a very obvious parallel to what god spoke to solomon and what god is saying today what god did in the days of solomon and what is allowing today so on a personal note what's the lord doing in your home what's the lord doing with your family and once again what's the Lord doing with you we won't always be in this quarantine we've got a few weeks left perhaps and as we slowly get back to normal what will be one of the biggest takeaways of this season what will be one of the biggest deliverables of these past few months let me give you real quick my goal and my objective today my goal and my objective is that your faith is strengthened Romans 4, last Sunday's message, but that your prayer life goes deeper. That's the ambition of today. The ambition of today is that your prayer life go deeper. And I'm going to be the first to go on record and say this. I've been praying. I've, I've accustomed to morning routine. I've, I've, I've practiced daily the prayer. I've learned the life of prayer. But I will say that these past few weeks, something's been different in my personal prayer time. One of the noticeable differences is I'm slowing down and I'm now able to pray without feeling rushed to hit the trail, to hit the campaign, to hit the pavement. I'm now spending a little bit more time quiet versus, God, I need this and we need to make this happen. And Lord, what do you want me to do here? And this, that, and the other. Now it's more so of a slow it down. God, what are you speaking and what are you saying in this season? And so my goal and my objective for the next 15 minutes is that you understand and you become that person of prayer that God wants you to become. Now, becoming a people of prayer, let's go back to 2 Chronicles, all right? 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And let's start at verse 12. The Bible says, The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said, Solomon, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place to be a place of sacrifice. Once again, two things are very noticeable. God says, Solomon... Uh, he goes back to chapter uh, 6 and then chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Solomon, I have heard your prayer. Now, we don't know if a day or a week or a month had passed by. Whatever the occasion, God said, your prayer kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius' prayer out of nowhere comes up as a memorial to the Lord. But God says, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. And I've also heard your prayer in this place. Where are you going with that one? Well, 
man, I, I love praying in the house. <clears throat> I love praying on a walking trail. We can pray on the treadmill. Uh, we can pray in various places. But I just believe there's something special about the house of God. In my memoirs and in my podcasting and in my notes, I'm writing and, and I'm, I'm, I'm journaling. You know, there's quite no place like the tabernacle, the temple, the house of God. And maybe we took this for granted. Maybe because we've got freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom to come and go as we wish. Maybe we kind of forgot about the sanctity and the sacredness about the house of God. Not once, not twice, but three times in this narrative, God emphasizes not just the prayer that Solomon prayed, Solomon prayed but he did it in a house. He did it in the house of God, this place, this place. I want to encourage every one of you, as we slowly reopen North Carolina, as we slowly reopen America, find yourselves on bended knees at the altar. Find yourselves hearing that when the shut-ins are, are happening, when the prayer meetings are happening, we can't just give it to the intercessory prayer team and say, they got me covered. We just can't give it to the mothers and say, they got us covered. We just can't say, oh, the elders and the pastors have us covered. We all must become a people of prayer. I hope you're learning that in this season. The things you've taken for granted, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your children, whether it be finances, whether it be freedom of, to just go to and fro as you wish. One of the things I beg and I, I implore of you is that you take away from this season the priority and the importance of prayer. I want to talk about that because something is very unique about 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now, uh, it took me a few weeks to um, really hear from heaven and, and share this with authority and with boldness. And we could care less what you or anyone else have to think. I am firmly convinced and I am fully a believer that God allowed COVID-19 for this season. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is as if the whole world is in timeout. Now, when I was growing up, we didn't know a whole lot about timeout. We got beat half to death. That was our timeout. You know, uh, uh, we got knocked out and it took us some time to get back uh, 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 walking straight again. But we didn't need three and four hours or uh, three or four days of time out. Uh, but this day and time, time out simply means rest. Think about these decisions. Pause for a moment. Cease from anything and everything you're doing. So it seems as if the whole world is in time out. And it's causing us to re-engage with the things that are most important in life. I said it before and I say it again. It's almost as if uh, what our Jewish brothers and sisters understand as the Shabbat. Now, their Shabbat is sundown on Fridays or sundown, excuse me, sundown on Fridays or sundown on Saturdays. So that's all but uh, a little less than 24 hours. But we've been in about a 45-day Shabbat where very little can happen. And it's really forcing us to do things we've gotten too big to do. It's really causing us to go back to the things that, that we kind of forgot were important to do. Talking to our children. Spending quality time with our spouses, reading the word of God, writing books, reading books, viewing books. I mean, we're kind of all going back to those things that are really important. Now, we, now we've got this new terminology, essential and non-essential. Well, the church should be essential. We're the fabric, the bedrock of our community. I believe so go the church, so go the community. And what is the church that has not inspected itself through the lenses of prayer, the sacraments, our convictions, 
our theology, our outreach, our compassion. Thank God for the church. Verse 13 says something very powerful. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, when I shut up heaven, there is no rain, or when I command the locusts to devour the land, or when I send pestilence among the people. Now this is God speaking, 2 Chronicles. Ezra, the author, says, God spoke to me and said, I am the one that sends locusts to devour the land. We saw that in the days of Pharaoh and Egypt. I am the one that withheld the rain from the earth. We saw that in the days of Elijah. I am the one that sends disease among the land. Well, you may not have been in the Old Testament or the New Testament, but buddy, you're living right here in 2020. And I just don't believe that COVID-19 came from Wuhan, China. I don't believe it came from, from northern Italy. I don't believe it came from the epicenter of New York City. I believe God sent it to get our attention. I mean, think for me for a moment. Just think with me for a moment. Think with me. What could have possibly brought an entire world to a screeching halt? A nuclear bomb only would have affected a certain region. A tsunami, an earthquake, a hurricane would have only affected a certain region. Famine of food would have affected a certain region. What could have absolutely went viral over a whole world without, without wiping out the world? If God wanted to destroy the earth, he would have sent the floods of the days of Noah. He would have sent the ice in the days of the ice age. Flood, water, ice, solid, Next will be fire. Well, that's, we're talking Armageddon. We're talking the, uh, the book of Revelation. We're talking about the next major, major judgment. But God sent a disease. And he was merciful in that it didn't kill us all. But it does cause us to pause and slow down and reprioritize the things that are important. So for anybody to say God is not in the mix of none of this, they don't know their Bible. For anyone to say, oh, God's a loving, graceful, merciful God, he would never allow this to happen. They don't know the word of God. They are a selective, opinionated, subjective, theological mess. The word of God says, God said, I allow these things to happen because I wanted to teach and I wanted to learn people some things about me and my will versus their will. So with that being said, he sends the drought. He sends the destruction. And here we see him sending a disease. So what's the antidote? What's the conclusion here? If my people who are called by my name. So we cannot hold Muslims or Hindus or Harry Krishners accountable. God says, my people who are the salt of the earth. My people who are city set on a hill. My people whom the blood was shed for. If my people who are called by my name, if they would humble themselves. What do you mean by humble themselves? Well, I thought about just quickly uh, what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 5. Uh, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submitted one to another and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. I want to talk to you just for a few moments. How do we become a people of prayer? How do we become a people of prayer and particularly after post-COVID-19, uh, post-global pandemic? 
It was one thing to think we could pray before all of this. It was one thing to think we had to walk with God before all of this. But my friends, my prayer, my thoughts, my heart is that you've learned a little bit more about how to go deeper in prayer. How to spend more time in prayer. How to hear from heaven in prayer. These are the days that try men's souls. These are the days that have been most difficult, most challenging. And now it causes us to depend even the more on God. Let me give you a couple of thoughts about how to be become a people of prayer in post-pandemic days. Number one, we must walk with humility. Second Chronicle talks about the value of humility. God says, I want you to humble yourselves. You went out and made money and you made a name and you built your kingdoms and you built all of your legacies. But it to be told, Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It would do you and it would do me some good to walk humbly before the Lord. The Bible says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he would exalt you in due time. So if my people who are called by my name, number one, humble yourselves. And I think that's what this season has done for our entire country, our entire world. It brings us to a place of brokenness, vulnerability, and humility. James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you will be healed. For the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. That comes, my friends, through humility. You know, how ashamed, how embarrassing, how arrogant can we easily become when we're not totally dependent upon God? God wants you and I to be humble. Number two, the church must pray. The church must pray. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, in the span of about three verses, God gives us these keys to becoming a people of prayer in a post-pandemic era. Number two, we have to be people of prayer. Go back to 2 Chronicles verse, chapter 7, verse 1. Let's stay right there, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Let's go all the way back up to verse 1. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place as for myself a house of sacrifice. Let me read that again. When Solomon had finished praying, when Solomon had finished praying, verse 1, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. We want the glory on Sundays, but very few people are willing to pray on Saturdays. We want the glory to fill the women's conference and the men's conference and the youth conference. We want the glory of God to really come and slay us all in the Holy Ghost. And we just had a, a Holy Ghost time, but no one's willing to fall on their knees and pray and cry out to God. Solomon prayed so to the point in chapter 7, verse 1, that the glory of the Lord, and you know the story, don't you? The glory, the kabod, the weight, the shekinah of God came so into the church that the priest, the Bible says, could not even minister. The people couldn't even stand. It was just that type of presence. I'm rewriting a book called Holy Spirit 2.0. Holy Spirit 2.0. Why 2.0? Because now I'm seeing things in the Holy Ghost I didn't see five years ago. Now I'm beginning to appreciate and embrace things about the Holy Spirit that I, I would not have appreciated five years ago. And one of the things I'm writing is how when I first got saved, when I 
first got filled with the Holy Spirit with these own eyes at the age of 18 and 19, I saw things supernaturally. I saw things that the Holy Ghost did in the services. I'm talking about being in conferences, being in revivals, being in the church. I'm talking about at one and two in the morning when I saw things that just defied natural order and said, God, this must be the Holy Ghost. This must be supernatural. Why? Because the glory of God was so thick and so rich back in those days. And my heart longs today. My heart cries today that we would experience a glory cloud like many of us have first getting saved. You read about the Catherine Cummins. You read about the William Seymours and the Charles Harrison Masons. And you read about the A.A. Allens. And you read about all of these classical men and women of God. Amy McPherson. You go back to John Lake. You go back to, to all of these heroes. And they experienced a glory and a power that couldn't be explained. May I prophesy for a moment. This is nowhere on my script. And this is nowhere in the notes. But I just believe that after this post-pandemic era, the church is going to be filled with glory. And there's going to be power manifesting supernatural outpourings like we've never heard. I mean, they're going to have to get CNN and Fox News and ABC and MSNBC and Associated Press. They'll be lined up with cameras and they're going to be like, we can't believe what we're seeing. Because the Bible said that, 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 that these sufferings are producing a far exceeding weight of glory. And friends, let me remind you what we experience in the sacredness of the house of God. May you experience in your home. I pray that your children and your grandbabies will grow up saying, I remember when I could hear mama laying hands and dad laying hands and you heard bones cracking and bones getting reset in order and they actually saw with their own eyes, shriveled hands being stretched out again and people who were blind in one eye, now they can see people who've been deaf all their lives, now they have full hearing. I believe that these things will happen because of the glory Solomon saw that in chapter 7. Why? Because he prayed if the church is going to develop and strengthen its prayer, if you're going to be a person of prayer in this post-pandemic day, you have to give yourselves to prayer. There's just no substitute. There's no side door. There's no back door. There's no other way around it. Notice what the Bible says, Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. Paul says, listen, it's not enough to pray for a brand new car. It's not enough to pray for a brand new house. It's not enough to pray to have some nice clothes. But Paul says, pray for one another. Pray for the saints. I pray that this quarantine has caused you to be more compassionate, more caring, more loving, more praying. Bible says in Romans chapter 12 verse 11 be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer I can stop right there and just wreck the entire message let's read that again Romans 12 verse 11 be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer faithful in prayer are you faithful right now in prayer can you honestly, transparently, with conviction say, I have given myself to prayer. And it's not necessarily the, 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 the quantity of the time in prayer as much as it is the quality 
of the time you put in prayer. I'll be the first to tell you, when I wake up in the morning, man, my mind is, boom, it's gone, it's gone. And if I don't pause and take that time to go somewhere and hear from heaven, I probably won't recover for the rest of the day because I'm racing and I'm meeting deadlines and got meetings. And, and let's face it, it's kind of like the woman who got in the bed late one night and she was so exhausted, she was so tired. And she went to pray, but she kept bobbing for apples. You know what bobbing for apples is, right? She just kept nodding while she was trying to pray. So finally she got in the bed, looked up at the sign up on us, looked up at, at the portrait on the wall. That was the Lord's prayer. said, Lord, you know that prayer. I'm going to bed. I'm too tired to pray. How many times have we just gotten so caught up in our busy schedules that we were too tired to pray? And so before I go to check my cell phone in the morning, before I get online and find out what's happening through Twitter or through ABC and NBC or whatever, God, let me just pause for a moment and let's just talk. What's on your agenda today? What would you have me to do? What is your plan? I know my plans, but God, what is your plans for me today? What purposes does this day bring? Today is, today is May the 3rd. It is early in the morning. God, before we go to the broadcast and before we have church, God, what, what do you want to do today? I'm not accountable for yesterday. We're not worried about day after tomorrow, but right here, right now, today, whose life do you want me to impact? Where can I show the compassion and the love of Jesus? I know somewhere throughout this day I'm going to meet somebody that's going to need an encouraging word. Last Thursday night we talked about having hope. And it's not enough to have some hope. We should be the hope. Because he's Christ, First, uh, Colossians 127, in us. And when we open our mouths, people can be encouraged. When we show up on the scene, the glory of God comes in the room. And that's what happens when you are the hope. Number three, I got to move on. Number three, the church must continually seek the face of God. Let's go over this again. If my people who are called by my name would number one, humble themselves. Number two, pray. Number three, seek my face. Well, Pastor Stevens isn't praying and seeking the face the same thing. No, absolutely not. When I'm praying unto God, I'm being anxious for nothing. I'm bringing everything to the Lord in prayer. But when I seek the face of God, now I'm wanting to know, God, what do you see? with your face? What do you hear with your ears? What are you saying out of your mouth? I look at the physical face. I look at the natural face. And I'm wanting to know, God, are you saying something that I need to be repeating? Are you seeing something that I need to see and discern? Are you, are you hearing something that I need to hear? Reminds me of Psalms 24. The Bible says, uh, 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 who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and pure heart, who has not lifted his soul as to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and a righteousness from the God of his salvation. For this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him. This is the generation of people who are seeking the Lord. Talk to me for a few moments here. We got a generation of people that seek God. We can no longer just kind of go ebb, tide to and fro. And just whatever comes my way, comes my way. But we got to be a people that says, God, tens of thousands of people are dead. Tens of thousands of people are unemployed. There are going to be more foreclosures, more bankruptcies, more repossessions, more crime, probably more sicknesses than we could have ever have imagined. God, what are you saying out of your mouth for this generation? What are you seeing that we should see? The Bible says that the Lord will do nothing except first 
revealed his secrets to his servants, the prophets. God, what are you saying? What are you hearing? And what should we be doing? For this, my friends, is the generation of Jacob, those that seek the Lord. And so the Bible says, Matthew 6, seek ye first. There's that word seek again. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of his righteousness and all these other things that we're praying for, all these other things that were designed. The Bible says we will have these things. Lastly, the church must turn from sinful behavior. Let's go back over Second Chronicles again. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. <clears throat> But they also have to be able to turn and turn from their wicked ways. And that's why I'm going to slow down for a moment and go real deep. And I want you to listen closely. If you're in the church long enough, you'll learn how to do one, two, three without doing number four. We become creatures of habits. And so we know how to pray and we know how to be humble and, oh, we can... You know, do the whole seeking of the Lord thing. But sometimes we wrestle with demons that we don't want to talk about. Sometimes there's darknesses that that's obviously is embarrassing. And we really don't have a relationship to tell others. So when we talk about confessing our sins one to another and praying, well, we're not going to confess our sins to nobody. Why? Because it's embarrassing. And you're not going to like me if I tell you my proclivities and my, 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 my past and my, 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 my darkness. But I reminded myself of Isaiah chapter 59. Well, the Bible reminds us, but your iniquities have separated you. In fact, I need to read that entirely. Let's go to Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. I was going to read just verse 2, but it really didn't make sense to read verse 2 without looking at verse 1. So Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot say, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But it is your iniquities that have separated you from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. All right, talk to me for a moment here. God says, it's not that my hands are slack that they can't save. It's not that I really don't want to bless you. But it's your sins. In fact, the Bible uses the word iniquity. The word iniquity simply means to fall short. Fall short of God's expectation. The word transgression means to go beyond or to go overboard or to step out of bounds. So whether you go overboard, over beyond, or you fall short, you've missed the mark. And the word sin means to miss the mark. Whether you've gone over or you've fallen short. So in Isaiah 59, the Bible says you've fallen short of what you're supposed to be doing. And because of that, notice what the scriptures say, because of that, I've hidden my face from you so that I won't hear you. And this is a very vulnerable place to be when you know there's unconfessed sin in your life. You still got to go to church and sing. Yeah, you still got to go to church and preach. You still got to be the usher. You still got to be the, the TV guy. You still got to be the, the cook in the kitchen. But you feel a sense of, of, of isolation. You feel a sense of hollowness. You feel a sense of, of, of distance. Why? Because there's some unconfessed things that I really need to get right. And I've been there. I'm sitting in that chair right now because I've sat there and I know what that feeling is like. In fact, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 5. 
Jeremiah underscores and continues that thought on. He says, your iniquities, verse 25, have turned away these things. Uh, what things? I'll tell you in one moment. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have holden or withheld good things from you. Jeremiah says, listen. In fact, let me read that one more time in the message version. Of course you don't. Your bad behavior blinds you to all of this. Your sins keep my blessings at a distance. Some of us are believing God for some great things that happen in our lives. We've been pleading and we've been asking and begging and crying out for God to do some things really unique in our lives. And we're wondering why we never get the promotion. We're wondering why we can never get that husband or get that wife. Or we're wondering why it seems like we always hit this glass ceiling. Have you done inventory lately? Bible says let a man examine himself. Have you taken an examination lately of your life? We're quick to judge others. We're quick to point fingers at others. But what about you? Jeremiah says it is your sins that have withheld the blessings from coming your way. What a very, very daunting thought. What a very intimidating thought. To think for one moment that God says, I want to bless you beyond your wildest of imaginations. I really want to do you so good. I really want to open some doors. I really want to take you there. But there's some things in your heart. There's some things right now in your practice. There's some things in your mind or in your mouth that you're going to have to walk away from and sever and cut if you really want to invoke the blessings on your life. I just, I'm trying to close the message. I ain't got but a half a page left. But I just keep pausing here because I kind of want to know what is it that you need to walk away from? What practice do you need to sever and cut the cord completely? I mean, cut the head of the snake off. What is it that keeps you shame, condemned, guilty, bound? It's not that you're a devil. It's not that you're a heathen. It's just the truth of the matter is you wrestle with the things that you don't want nobody to know about. God says, listen, if you're willing to turn from your wicked ways, that's the promise he makes in 2 Chronicles. Turn from their wicked ways. The word wicked comes from the word wicker. When you see a wicker chair or a wicker table, you see the interaction and the interchangeabilities and the inner movement and the interwovenness of threads, of pieces and of materials. When a man is wicked, he's interwoven good and bad. He's interwoven fair or kind and evilness. It's a wicked or wickedness. And some people are just straight up wicked. Some people just don't have a heart to want to do right until God deals with them. So God says, you're going to have to humble yourself, pray and seek my face. And by the way, turn from your wicked ways. And if you're willing to do those four things, if you're willing to commit to those four things, here's what I do in return. And I'm almost finished. Number one, I will hear all the way from my spot in heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive your sins. The Bible says that, uh, that, that he is faithful if you confess your faults before him. If you confess your sins to him, he is faithful, First John, and just to forgive you, not of some, not of every other, or not of most, but he's able to forgive you of all of your sins. He says, I want to forgive your sins. But not only that, number two, I want to heal the land. Every time I drive up on this property, I think about God healing the land. God heal the land. The land is being healed right now on the roof. I'm thanking God for healing the roof. I thank God for healing some of the mechanical things that need to be healed in the land. 
He's healing the financial streams. He's healing for the farmers, the produce line. He's healing for those that need rain to get the rain. He's healing the land because he made a promise over his word that he would heal the land. So God promises, not only will I hear from heaven, forgive the things that heal the land, but now my eyes are open and my ears are attentive to the prayer made in this place. I wish you were with me today here. I wish you were here. If you were here right now, I'd stop the service and say, everybody, meet me at the altar. Because there's something about prayer. And there's something about prayer in this place. We can't be in this place, but he can be in your place. In the next few minutes, we're going to pray. And I know it might seem a little uncomfortable because you got folk in the house with you, but let them hear your prayer. I promise you, I promise you, a conversation is going to come out of them hearing your prayer today. Somebody's going to come around and say, hey, I heard you earlier. I need to talk to you about something. You know, I heard you out there with that preacher online, and you know what? I need, to, I need someone to talk to. I promise you, if you'll let them hear you cry out to God, there's a son, there's a daughter, there's a spouse, that will benefit today because they prayed thousands of years ago. It was in that place today. It's in your place. And I just want to speak to you today that God's going to bring revival to the church. God's going to be revival to your family. There's a great awakening coming out of COVID-19. There's a great renewal, a great restoring, a great power that is coming out of this pandemic. God would have never allowed the world to suffer as she has if he didn't have a plan for redemption. He would have never have allowed us to suffer the things we suffered if he didn't have a plan to show himself strong and mighty. Please understand today, I read a quote this past week. It blew me away, and I want to repeat this quote to you today. Someone said, revival isn't about the lost getting found as much as it is about the saved getting serious. Revival is not as much about lost people getting found. It's about saved folk getting serious. And I believe that this is what this pandemic and this quarantine has done for the body of Christ. We are now going back to those things that matter most, those things that we're serious about. We're pinning our ears behind, squaring our shoulders, hitting our knees and seeking God and saying, God, I'm not coming up and I'm not coming out until you've blessed us. Old William Seymour, the one-eyed preacher in the days of Azusa, will put his head in a box there on Azusa Street. And when Bishop Charles Harrison Mason would come and the revivalists would come from all over the world, they'd see this one-eyed black man who put his head in a box. And he said, I'm not going to bring my head out of the box in this church until God's brought revival. And may that be our template. May that be our cry. God, we're going to pray like never before. We're going to be bold as never before. We're going after the Holy Ghost like never before. And I know you're in your home, and I'm here in the church, and people are scattered out all over the place, but maybe that was God's will. So revival could truly penetrate, and revival could truly make its presence in homes and in houses all over the land. I can stop right there, but I got one last promise. If you keep reading the scriptures, God says, Solomon, this is what I was going to do for Israel. This is what I'm going to do for the church. But in verse 17, he says, Solomon, I hadn't forgotten about you. Here's what I'll do for you. As for you, verse 17, Solomon, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and if you do according to all that I've commanded you, if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then, Solomon, I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David. Your father saying, you should not fail to have a man 
as a ruler in Israel. Forty some odd generations later, Jesus, the son of David, Jesus comes from the lineage or the line of David. Why? Because God made a promise to David that I'm cutting a covenant with you today and it's going to go through the loins of you and your son Solomon and we're going to keep going from generation to generation to generation until we get to Jesus who now they cry, Hosanna! Blessed be the rock, blessed be the Lord, the God of our salvation. God made a promise and he kept that promise. He says, Solomon, if you'd walk before me as David. Now, I took a note there earlier this week. And I know a lot of you self-religious, biased, and pious, ultra-conservative, hypocritical Christians. I know you're saying, David, wait a minute. Did you, you mean David the murderer? Not, not, not that David. David the adulterer? Not that David. Uh, David who counted and got arrogant? No, not, not that David. But David who was restored. David who was renewed. David who was revived. You know, that David who became the sweet psalmist of Israel. That David, the one who became a man after my own heart. That David who wrote Psalm 51 and said, Lord, whatever you do, don't take away the Holy Ghost from me. I will teach sinners your way. I will go forward and fulfill the line and the prophecy and the covenant that you promised to me. Friends, if, if you take Second Chronicles today, Apply it to your life. Go deeper in prayer. Have more quality time in prayer. Learn to talk to God and allow God to talk with you. If you'd humble yourself, if you pray, learn to seek the face of God. Right? Turn from any wicked, any sinful ways. God says, where I'm at in heaven, I'll hear you. And I'm going to forgive every one of your sins. I'm also going to heal your money. I'm going to heal your body. I'm going to heal your family. I'm going to heal your mind. I'm going to heal your emotions. I'll heal the land. Not only that, now my eyes are open and my ears are attentive to whatever your prayer you want to pray in this place. And Solomon hadn't forgotten about you. If you'll walk in the word of God as your daddy walked in the word, Solomon, you'll be the wisest man in the history of time. You'll be one of the richest men in the history of time. You'll complete the temple that will last for years. And Solomon did just that. Friends, let me encourage you today that God made you a promise. My time is up. But on this morning, I want you to know that God loves you with an everlasting love. And this is no time to tuck our tail between our legs and tower down to weather the storm. Now is the time. To go deeper in prayer. Now is the time to pray with authority. Pray over your family. Pray over your children. Prophesy and speak those things that are not as though they were. Now is the time. David said, my enemies, my critics, my haters, they all came against me. But in return, I gave myself to prayer. If there's never been a time to sharpen the sword on prayer, now is the time. You may say, oh, I tell you, my God, I heard a man say once, you know, I, I never pray more than 30 minutes at a time. I never pray more than 30 minutes at a time. But then he went on to say that 30 minutes never passes without me having some time with prayer. 30 minutes will not elapse without me having time in prayer. I noticed recently that Daniel prayed three times a day as it was his custom. David prayed three times a day as it was his custom. Jesus prayed three times a day as it was his custom. 
And I'm challenging you myself, just don't have time in the morning to pray, but find time at noon to pray. I don't care where you're at, find a closet. If you're in the airport, go to the chaplain's room. If you're at the hospital, find the chapel. But, but find time in the evening time to pray. In fact, you should have a posture of prayer all day long. Keep talking to God. Allow God to talk to you. Seek his face and he'll show you some great things and some mighty things, even in this post-pandemic era. Whether you're giving your life to the Lord for the first time or you're rededicating your life, let me congratulate you. Let me say bravo. Let me say praise the Lord and congratulations on your walk and your start with the Lord. I want you to go to our website, backcitychurchhuntersville.com, one word, citychurchhuntersville.com. And on that website, you'll have a page where you can fill in some real simple, real easy information. We want to be able to follow up with you. In fact, one of our prayer counselors, one of our pastoral staff members will reach out and see how you're doing and answer any questions and continue on this ministry with you. It's so important that you grow as a child of God. You know, when this whole quarantine period is over with, we can't wait for that weekend. It'll be here soon. But that weekend when we all can shout and dance and celebrate one with another. But until that time, I want you to reach out. In fact, I want you to follow me on Facebook. Follow the church. We've got Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and all of those good things. Follow us so you can stay in the loop, stay encouraged, stay informed. And I know God will bless you real good, right?